Welcome to this Mount Pleasant Baptist Church podcast recorded at our Thornley campus. We're glad you've joined us and we pray that the Lord will speak to you and encourage you through this message. Good morning everyone, it is wonderful to be here today. This is my, actually my first time uh, to Thornley. Uh, I was on leave uh, when all of this was birthed and I kind of missed out on all of the excitement. I came halfway through for a young adult thing and while it was in chaos and that kind of stuff still. But I've not been uh, since actually the relaunch. So I am finally get to be here. I'm very grateful. So thank you for having me. It is a real privilege to be here today. As you guys know, we're in the middle of a series called Who is Jesus? It's a series that'll take us all the way through to Christmas. And this morning, we're gonna pick up where Craig left off last week by focusing in on Jesus, the peacemaker. You know, I look at our world, I look at the news or even social media, and peace isn't something that I would say that our world is particularly known for. There was a a fair bit of agreement in the room in that one, yeah. And now I was trying to think about that, and I think, you know, I look back to the riots in America last year, and that was almost defied belief of what we see, over over a billion dollars worth of damage. In fact, nearly two billion dollars worth of damage. It's kind of astronomical. I think of the Taliban in Afghanistan. I watched a clip by the BBC last week that marked the 100th day of Taliban rule. And it was heartbreaking watching this. They're interviewing this guy on the street and he says, I just don't see any future. That poor people have no future. They just reopened schools, which is great, except they're only allowing boys to go back and resume their studies, which is not so great. There's thousands of kids suffering malnutrition. The the, the footage of this children's hospital was just really, really awful, really awful to watch. One of the very first things that they did was round up the Christians, and we heard stories from Afghan pastors that had had their daughters forcibly taken away from them and then married off to the Taliban, which is essentially a form of sex slavery. Just awful, awful stuff. And we know that our world is broken. You don't have to look that hard to see the decay of our society and our world in general. And it's, it is heartbreaking when you look at what's out of our world. So much of our world is characterized not by peace, but by brokenness and turmoil. So much of it. And that says nothing about the brokenness that I see in myself. Right? And if we were all honest, I think we'd all be able to say the same thing. And the Lord is gracious and loving and patient and I'm incredibly grateful for that because I would put myself in the category of of well and truly a work in progress. And Jesus is amazing and Jesus has done good stuff, I think, but but there's like, there's a long way to go. That's what I see when I look at myself. There's stuff that I've grappled with for years. I'm not exactly proud of that, you know, I don't say that, but it's just, it's true. I can be really selfish. I get frustrated with stuff sometimes that just isn't worth it. And I look back and I think, why do I still do that? Why can't I just get over that? But it's true. I think sometimes I would have made a terrible Pharisee. Legalism just doesn't really do it for me. Because I don't come out feeling good about myself. I don't come out with this sense of pride. I come out thinking, wow, I'm really in trouble here. Like, I can't do this. I need Jesus desperately. Which brings me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because when you look at the story of the Bible, it makes it really clear. In fact, it tries to go out of its way to make this point. Which is, we just don't have the capacity to fix ourselves. 
or our world. But try as we might, we just can't do it. We need somebody to intervene on our behalf, to do what we can't. That's a big part of the Christian story of the Bible. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. So why don't you open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're only looking at two verses this morning, 5 and 6. And just to give you a little bit of context this morning, Paul is writing to Timothy, who was a part of his church planting team. And he'd already sent Timothy to the church in Ephesus to deal with some of the problems in that church. And if you've read Ephesians, you would know they had some serious problems. And so here he is in this chapter, chapter 2, and Paul is instructing Timothy to get the church praying. He says, I urge you to pray for all people, including those in authority, because a stable and a peaceful society creates an environment where it's easier to preach the gospel and see it spread. Now, that's Paul's main concern, that he's all in on the gospel. That Jesus is everything. He's the hope of the world, and there is no plan B. It doesn't exist for Paul. It's just Jesus. Which brings us to verse 5, where he says this. He says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, that's singular, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. That's a beautiful verse. And we believe that. But Jesus is the lamb who was slain. He's the Messiah, the, the savior of the world. Well, I read that and it gives me hope. But you know, there's a whole lot of people who read that and get angry because of how exclusive it is. I mean, Paul is pretty clear. There's, there's one God, not two, not many. There's one God and there's one mediator between God and mankind, the man, singular, Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is pretty upfront with his rejection of the idea that there's many ways or many paths to God. He says, no, there's one way to God, one hope for the world, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Well, that's a truth claim. And it's an incredibly exclusive one. And I don't know if you've noticed, but in 2021, in our context, our culture, that's not particularly popular. It's very intolerant. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I thought instead of just kind of ignoring that, I thought let's deal with that. We're going to look at the exclusivity of 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to do some apologetics and lean on guys like Dan Patterson. And I'm putting in a disclaimer right up front. That guy is way smarter than I will ever be. So if you want to go deeper on this and you want to continue to get a little bit more information, go check out Questioning Christianity by Dan Patterson. He's amazing. He's very helpful, very, very smart. And I would highly encourage you to go check him out. Questioning Christianity by Dan Patterson. He's on Facebook, he's on YouTube. He's up in a school evangelist, whatever. He's great, okay? Studied with Rabbi. It's very, very good. So I'm going to be leaning on him as we navigate this together. We're going to unpack the exclusivity of this verse, but then we're going to look at how it's actually radically inclusive as well. And Paul says that the hope of the gospel is for everyone because Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all people. That's what it says. We'll get to that later, but we're going to start with the uncomfortable stuff. The truth is that the Christian faith is built on exclusive claims. And that makes some Christians really uncomfortable. 
So they try to twist the Bible, or maybe they try to you know, ignore certain parts to make it more palatable. The question is palatable to who, right? That's the question that we've got to ask ourselves. The problem is that Jesus kind of leads the way on this. That he makes some incredibly exclusive claims. That he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. That's a wild claim. But it's also fundamentally exclusive. Fundamentally exclusive. Because here's the thing. Jesus wasn't ashamed of the exclusivity of the gospel. So if we are... We've got to ask ourselves the question, is, isn't that a real problem? That we call ourselves followers of Jesus. So it would seem to be a problem when we would find ourselves out of step with Jesus. And yet the very clear reality of the, the Bible is that Jesus had no problem with the exclusivity of our faith. That this is something that's been fundamental, it is fundamental to our faith, and it always has been. And you take it right back to the Old Testament. What was the first commandment that God gave to Moses? You shall have no other gods before, or that word can also mean besides me. It's the first commandment that God gave to Moses. Isaiah 44, 6 says this, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me there is no God. Isaiah 43, 11 says, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Again and again, we see the exclusive claims of Scripture. And for me, it culminates in Mark chapter 12. Sorry. And you might remember the story of Mark chapter 12. The scribes and the Pharisees are talking to Jesus, and they ask him, out of all the commandments in Scripture, and let's be honest, there's a fair few of them, so out of all the commands in the Scripture, which one is the most important? And Jesus says the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. They're asking Jesus, what's at the core of our faith? Like if you were to drill right down into the, the very center, the heart of our faith, what do you find? And he says, Yahweh is the only God. And your job is to love him with all that you are and then to love the people around you. That's it. That's the heart of Christianity. You cannot get around the exclusive nature of that claim. And yet we live in a world that sees that exclusivity as a form of arrogance. Now who are you to tell me what's true and what's not? Now you really want me to believe that, that, that you're right and that all of us are wrong? I mean, aren't all religions basically the same anyway? I and mean, that's the claim that you hear all the time. That all religions are fundamentally the same and that our differences are really just superficial. So if there is a God, I'm not, you know, I'm not just saying if there is a God, then you're probably all worshipping the same God and you just don't realize it. I hear that all the time. Well, from an apologetics point of view, the first thing that we'd say is just because Christianity is true doesn't mean that everything from other religions is false. False. 
We don't have to make that claim. We don't, we don't need to. We're not making that claim. Dan Patterson puts it like this. He says, Hindus believe the supernatural dimension operates alongside our own. Muslims believe that there is only one God and that he speaks by revelation. Jews believe that God provides the basis for objective morality. And secular humanists believe that human beings have inalienable or indisputable rights. So not every claim from other religions is false. Our shared ground can be celebrated. Rather, the Christian story is that Jesus told us the whole truth about spiritual reality. John 1.1, that he is the word, the revelation of God made flesh. That he is the pinnacle of God's revelation. And that whoever departs from what Jesus teaches, however sincere they might be in their belief, however admirable their life might be where they contradict Jesus, they are sadly mistaken. Now there is shared ground and we celebrate that. In fact, I would say that that shared ground is an avenue for the gospel. I mean, isn't that what we see Paul doing in Acts chapter 17? He's walking around Athens He sees this shrine dedicated to the unknown God. And he uses that as a way of introducing them to Yahweh. Let me tell you about this unknown God. Let me tell you how much he loves you. Let me tell you about his character. Let me tell you what he's done for you. There is shared ground and we celebrate that. But for us, it all comes back to Jesus. The person and the work of Jesus. And the reality is that Jesus made some incredibly exclusive claims that just do not gel with other religions. They don't go together. And we need to be honest about that. I think it's very unhelpful when we try to hide that. And sometimes I think we're almost a little ashamed of the exclusivity of our faith. But the truth is every religion, every take on spirituality makes exclusive claims. The Hindus do, the Buddhists do, the Jews do. All religions make exclusive claims, even religious pluralists, so that the people who would probably call themselves spiritual, right? They think that we're all worshiping the same God and we just need to get over ourselves, right? Even they make exclusive claims, whether they admit that or not. And I'll give you an example. The analogy that they use all the time is this parable of the blind man and the elephant. You've probably heard of it. I've actually got a picture for you guys. It's a cartoon picture. It's not the greatest picture, but whatever. It's a blind man and the elephant. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. There's a group of blind dudes reaching for this elephant. And the elephant represents God, by the way. It's it's an Indian parable. And because they're all touching different parts of the elephant, they all come to very different conclusions. And so the parable goes something like this. The first guy grabs the elephant's tail and says, oh, oh, wow, God is like a rope. And the next guy grabs the elephant's ear and says, no, 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 God is like a palm leaf. Another blind guy grabs the elephant's leg and says, no, you're all wrong. God is like a tree. And the last guy grabs the elephant's trunk and says, oh, you blind fool, God is like a python. And the analogy is basically saying that Christians and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and every other religion that you can think of, we're all grabbing hold of different aspects of God. And the only reason that we make such exclusive claims is because of our blindness. We are the blind guy in that analogy, in that parable, by the way. It's because of our blindness. 
that we may not realize it, but we're all grasping at the same spiritual reality. In a sense, we're all right. And at the same time, we're kind of all wrong because God is actually all of those things. And so we're right, but we're, we're also wrong. Now that sounds nice. It sounds very 2021. And I've got to be honest with you, this parable is making a strong comeback in the young people of our generation or the generation below me in Australia. They love this stuff. It's very inclusive, very tolerant. But here's the other elephant in the room. That's a truth claim. And it's exclusive. I mean, if you take a step back from that analogy, the narrator is saying, unlike everyone else, I can see. When the Christians are blind, it's not just us. The Muslims are blind. The Hindus are blind. The Buddhists are blind. Everyone is blind. But me, the religious pluralist, the spiritual person, I can see what you can't that you're actually just worshiping the same God. That's used under the guise of tolerance and inclusivity, but you can only put people who are making exclusive and actually contradictory statements in the same category by first dismantling all of their core beliefs, by making this incredibly shallow thing. So we're all worshiping the same God, but Jesus isn't the way, the truth, and the life. Well, C.S. Lewis would say that means he's either a liar or he's a lunatic, but either way, he's not the mediator between God and mankind. He's not the hope of the world. Now, that's what that analogy says. And that's a truth statement, and it's every bit as exclusive as the one that we make as Christians. And I love the way that Dan puts it. He says, there's a very good reason why we keep bumping into exclusivity because truth by definition is exclusive. And when a scientist claims to have developed a better hypothesis to explain quantum gravity, do we label them as arrogant for excluding other hypotheses? No. When a doctor claims to have diagnosed our symptoms, do we call them intolerant of all the other potential ailments? No. The question isn't whether they're exclusive. The question is whether they're right. Well, that's the truth. Every religion, every take on spirituality is exclusive, even when they say they're not. It's a level playing field in that regard. The question is, which one is true? It's the only thing that actually matters. Which one is compelling and life giving and this is where the gospel shines because as exclusive as our faith might be it's also radically inclusive Paul says there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind the man Christ Jesus but then he goes on to say that man gave himself as a ransom for all people that word is past it means each every any the whole, everyone. You cannot get a more inclusive word. So it doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from or what you've done in your life, Jesus died for you. That's what that verse says. It's radically inclusive. And we talk about salvation being a free gift of grace, but that's not to say there wasn't a cost. 
It's free for us, but it's only because the price has already been paid. That's the truth. Every one of us would agree that our world is broken. That's a part of the common ground. Every one of us would agree that our world is broken. The Christian story says that all of that is a byproduct of the broken relationship between God and mankind. So it's the fruit of our rebellion. And yet this is where the gospel sets itself apart from every other take on spirituality. See, Buddhism says, here's the eightfold path. Follow this and it'll lead you to nirvana. Islam says, if your good works outweigh your bad, if you follow the will of Allah and obey the law, then maybe you'll end up in paradise. And yet the gospel says, you don't have to do anything because Jesus has already done everything. That's what sets the gospel apart. He paid the price for our rebellion, but he is the bridge between an infinitely holy God and an undeniably broken people in a broken world. He came and he became one of us. He stood in the gap for you and for me. That's what that word mediator means. Someone who intervenes between two parties in order to make or restore peace and friendship. That's what it literally means. That's who Jesus is. He's the peacemaker. He restored peace between us and God. On the cross, he opened up the door for us to once again walk in relationship with the God of the universe. And all we have to do is believe. That's it. We don't have to earn it. It's not about following some path or reaching some level of enlightenment because the truth is that all of those things in and of themselves exclude people. Not everybody's gonna make it down that path. Not everybody's gonna reach that level of enlightenment. As soon as you make it about what we have to do, you exclude people. And yet our faith says it's about grace. It's about the unmerited favor of a God who Paul says in verse four, wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's radically inclusive. It's good news for all of us because it's not about us, it's about Jesus. It's about what he's already done for us. Radically inclusive. You know, we started this morning with the brokenness of our world, but I want to finish with the transformational power of the gospel. I wanted to chuck a a photo up on the screen, but I didn't think about it until I had to get my slides into the team. And uh, so there is no photo. So you'll just have to imagine it, right? I just want you to imagine these two very elderly, last time I said old, and Anna said that was rude. So very elderly, wise, gray, white-haired people, uh, but some of the most inspirational people uh, that I've ever met, and that's actually Anna's grandparents. Uh, they were missionaries in PNG for about 40 years. And they're actually the first missionaries to go to the Badamani people in the highlands of PNG. And last time I shared this, by the way, there was a whole lot of people that knew this story. The truth is nobody else wanted to go because, and there's a fairly good reason, they were cannibals. And that's a bit of a blockage for people. I can understand that. <laughs> And so they would lure in strangers and other tribes and they would put on this incredible hospitality and but really they were just fattening them up. And that sounds almost unbelievable, I know, but that comes straight from the horse's mouth. This is what they said. 
It's true. Have some more. We're going to eat you later, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's a wild world. We live in a wild world. They were heavily into witchcraft. They would commune with the spirits and go on spirit walks. It was just this, it was a dark, dark place. And when Tom and uh, some of the other guys who was Anna's grandfather eventually made their way up the mountain, they said that half the tribe wanted to eat them. And the other half only stopped them because they thought they might be useful. But even then, it was kind of 50-50, right? And I think even the half that decided not to eat them, they thought, well, we can always eat them later. So we'll just see whether or not they really are useful. They brought machetes and they were white and that worked in their favor. But it was 50-50, very dangerous. And as they started to engage with the Badamani people, and as they did, they found the common ground that we talked about before. See, the Badamani people have this origin story about a child crying in a bush. And there was this good spirit that was taking care of the child. And while that good spirit was away getting some fruit from the tree of life, the chief of all the bad spirits came along and fed the child fruit from the tree of death. That sounds strangely familiar, doesn't it? But there's more. Because just like our story, that moment represented for them the moment that they were cut off from eternal life. So this cannibalistic tribe who were incredibly violent, but there were also this people who longed for the eternal life that they'd lost. And that was Tom and Salome's shrine to an unknown God. That was their inroad for the gospel. And so over time, they began to and continued to build relationships and share the gospel. And then Jesus did what he does best. He drew this people to himself and the whole tribe came to the Lord. And it was revival. And they gave up cannibalism. They gave up witchcraft. The violence stopped. They were just a radically changed people. So if you go to Mogulu today, there's a hospital and a school and a thriving youth group. It's actually the base that the missionaries used to go and to reach out to other tribes in the highlands. It's where they train pastors and they send them out. They say that actually Christians from the different tribes all around, they walk for days to get to Mogulu so they can come and they can worship together and honor the name of Jesus in Mogulu. And so it's just a complete change from darkness to light because that's what Jesus does. This is what we see the gospel do. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So here's my question to you. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you tentative to share it or are you ready at any opportunity that the Lord might bring your way? Because you believe that the gospel changes people's lives. Because you believe that it brings life. May we be a people who are passionate about the gospel because we know that Jesus changes people's lives. We believe that he takes people from darkness into life and he requires nothing of us. That he did everything for us. That it offered there as a free gift of grace. May we be a people who are passionate about the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we are so, so incredibly grateful because we recognize that this is all about who you are. 
that our hope is in, in you, not in our ability to get it right, not in our ability to do the right thing or to, or to follow any kind of law, not in our ability to, 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 to follow some kind of path. It's not about us in any way. And how grateful we are for that, Jesus, because if it was about us, we'd be in trouble. We really would be. And we just don't have the capacity to save ourselves. And yet we're so grateful that the gospel, the good news declares to us that actually, Jesus, you have done everything, everything on our behalf. And you offer life and this opportunity to walk with you in relationship for eternity. You offer it as a free gift of grace. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. You are the peacemaker. And so we honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We would love to hear from you. If you would like prayer, please submit a prayer request at mounties.org.au forward slash prayer or send an email to communications at mounties.org.au and one of our team will be in contact. Have a great week.